Before we get to catching up with Phil Kogan about episode number seven of Tough as Nails, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Chomps Meat Snacks. Of course, they are great for on the go, whether you're off to the job site or just snacking. Chomps products are Whole30 compliant, paleo-friendly, keto-friendly, and free from all eight major allergens. Chomps Italian beef and sea salt beef flavors are AIP friendly. Chomps meat snacks are a high-quality pantry staple that can be delivered conveniently to your door. They're a great option if you're limiting your grocery store shopping but still want nutritious staples on hand. Chomps uses the highest-quality proteins, including ASPCA-certified grass-fed and finished beef, and venison, free-range turkey, and hormone and antibiotic-free. The Chomps 1.15-ounce sticks contain 9 to 10 grams of protein, and Chomplings half-ounce sticks have 4 to 5 grams of protein. All of their products are free from GMOs, gluten, soy, dairy, added sugar, added nitrates, MSG, artificial preservatives, or coloring, or artificial sweeteners. And all Chomps products are nutrient-dense and contain healthy fats and lean protein. They're great whenever you're on the go, Looking for a snack that is perfect for anybody trying to get some more protein in their diet. To order up some chomps now at chomps.com slash Rob Podcast. Use the code Rob Podcast 15 and get 15% off your entire order. That's at chomps.com slash Rob Podcast and use the code Rob Podcast 15 to get 15% off your entire order at chomps.com slash Rob Podcast. That's right. Tough as nails. Episode seven recap here. I am Rob Sesternino and uh, we're we're not here to take out the trash today. We are here to talk about another great episode of Tough as Nails uh, here with our Tough as Nails Savage crew. Uh, Here she is back once again with us, the great Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Rob. I've got very clean hands so i guess by default i'm on the savage crew. clean hands dirty money that's how you live your life jess <laughs> definitely yes <laughs> yes uh a man who i'm wondering if this maybe brought up any traumatic experiences in his life as there was a moving challenge on this week's episode uh mr mike bloom yeah you know this really was three for three for me between moving between taking out the trash and between i've just spent the past month laying so much stone down uh it really has been applicable <laughs> that's not a euphemism is it no unlike okay. laying pipe last week laying okay. stone is something completely what would that be a euphemism <laughs> I don't for know. rob you think i know what the euphemisms are i wasn't sure you're the most hip one out of all of us you have podcasts dedicated to getting lingo out of gen z so i think you would know more than any of okay. us all right. I wasn't sure if uh, Laying Stone was like a new Cardi B lyric that I hadn't uh, heard yet. Okay. All right. And then here he is back with us, the host and creator of season one and two of Tough as Nails. Uh, here's the great Phil Kogan. Phil, how are you? I'm, I'm great. I mean, it's nice to be back. 
Um, and uh, thank you for your uh, patience last week. I uh, had a little throat issue, couldn't speak. So I figured, you know, probably not, wouldn't have made a very good guest. Okay. Well, Phil, we're happy to have you back. And congratulations on the news about season two of Tough as Nails. You know, uh, trying to get any show on the air is uh, extremely difficult. And getting from one to two, I think, might actually be more difficult. And Mm -hmm. so uh, thanks to everybody who has watched the show. And thanks to the cast who helped bring the show to life. And... uh, and then all the people behind the scenes who have poured their heart and soul into making something that I do think is unique. I think it's uh, it's hard to be unique and it's hard to be different in 2020 when it comes to making a reality show. But uh, it it's I guess it's you know it's worked and people are watching and this is a good thing. Yeah, really exciting. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I I guess the question for you is obviously you talked with us before about how you were already you know working on casting season two. The casting commercials had been out while the season was going. So it's only been about 24 hours since the announcement. Has this affected the way that you and Louise and everybody else has approached it with season two being a guarantee? Or is it just same old, same old right now? Uh, I think there was that moment where it was like, oh boy, we're, you know, because they, they want us to, to shoot soon. And we've been working up to going into a season two as if it's going to happen. But then when it's official, it does just give you a lump in your stomach because we did have magic in season one with the casting, with the way that everything worked out. Uh, and, and then you just, you wonder whether you can do it again. You do have that sort of feeling like, wow, I hope we can do that again. So it's, it's, I'm excitedly nervous. And then also just trying to make sure that we get the same behind the scenes people back because, you know, everybody we pulled together, they work freelance and they're good. They're very good at what they do. And you're always hoping that you can get those same people back because it makes a huge difference. You cannot underestimate the value of a collaboration with the best of the best. And one, one link that's a little weak can affect the whole thing. It has like a domino effect through the entire production. So <clears throat> we're hoping that we can get all the great people we had in season one back because then we can all be better because the goal is to be better, you know, to, to take it up a notch, learn things and adjust things. And you, you hope that you get a chance to go to season two because there's a lot of stuff you don't have to deal with in season two that you did in one. What color is the, What's, what are the pantones? What are the colors of the show? What do the graphics look like? How do the graphics come on and off? What, you know, is there a little hot flame in the, in the nails on the graphic? And where do you place them? You know, we place them high. Um, what, 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 how do you bump in and out of commercial break? How do you tease? What's the, the, the elimination uh, or the, the punch out music like? You know, all of these decisions, it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And once you get through season one, you're able to like focus a lot more on other things that you didn't have a chance to because you're just moving so fast. So if there's something that you can tell us that doesn't give away anything that we haven't seen yet, are what are some of the things that you will adjust for season two? Well, it's about, um, really it's about looking at the things that, that, that did work and analyzing, sitting down with all the things that did work 
as far as the challenges, like what challenges resonated. So the other day we had a meeting and we went through all the challenges and we talked about what was good about that challenge and what was uh, what worked and what didn't work. Sort of like pros and cons, um, not just pros and cons in terms of what went to air, but also uh, the logistics of mm-hmm. trying to pull that together. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't have the kind of budget where we can do everything that we want to do. There's lots of things that we would love to do, but it's just they're too cost prohibitive or we can't get access to certain things. So uh, with a season two, what comes with that is you can pick up the phone and you can say, there's this show, there's the show it did very well in the summer. Um, you can send them examples of some of the challenges and would you like to work with us? So those are some of the changes we'd like to make is to go back to some of the companies that in the beginning were like, we don't even know what this show is. So no, thank you to Oh yeah, that's that show. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, let's 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 talk. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> so, um, and that look, that was the same. That's the same with any show. Like in the beginning with Amazing Race, people like you're going to do what? These people are going to what? And then after people saw it, they were like, Oh, will you come to our country, please? Because that looks really fun, and we'd love to be a part of that. So, it's it's that season one to season two where you get that recognition and. Mm-hmm people have at least heard of it or they've seen a promo or it's part of the zeitgeist, I guess. Phil, I know you said that you were potentially going back to shoot uh, relatively soon on season two. And I don't know if you can divulge this type of information. Are you looking at some sort of like bubble situation like we've seen with other shows where like Love Island is coming back soon and they were uh, were able to basically shoot all in one place? Or have you not even reached that point in figuring out the logistics? Oh no, we've we're hundreds of pages into looking at those logistics. Um, we have an amazing uh, executive in charge of production on our show. His name is Terry Casanola. Uh, Louise and I have been working with him since the mid '90s. Uh, he worked on a show that I sold to Discovery in the late '90s. Um, he's amazing. He's just he's just he's worked he worked for Harpo. Uh, Hardcore Productions for many years with Oprah. He worked with Dr. Phil for a long time. He's worked with us. He was actually the uh, uh, the first EIC on Amazing Race, um, and was someone who really pushed for me to be a part of Amazing Race. Like, you know, because we'd worked together before. Then he was employed over at Amazing Race. Um, and yeah, no, he's been working on this for months. And what I love about working with him is he's always, always exploring ways of doing things and he's he you have to be very creative to be very uh good with logistics mm-hmm. um you know we, we've talked about this before there's lots of people who are critical of things but the challenging part is being constructively critical and he's one of those people that has the ability to look at a at a challenge and be able to be creative and go okay we have this covert situation how do we deal with it there's one way we can do it and that's who terry is and so the, the advantage we have, unlike a studio show, uh, is that we're outside, there's breeze, there's ways yeah. of creating separation. Uh, but the protocols are definitely going to have an effect on how we shoot. Um, you know, things that we've taken for granted over the years, where you can just sort of run up to anybody and go behind the van of the art department and just have a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, you're not going to be able to do that now. I mean, people are going to be all in their little pods and it's going to be way more managed. So we're going to have to be a lot smarter about how we get creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's hard. So what, you're, 
So what you're saying is Tough as Nails Las Vegas is next season. <laughs> uh, we, we, we won't be going to Las Vegas, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I look at some of the other shows and I look at some of the restrictions and the way that they're having to work. And I, I, I have to say that at least with our show being outside, we're, it's a lot different from, say, Big Brother's challenges or a Love Island challenge. Um, but we're going to have our own okay. challenges. Yeah, definitely different than the Love Island challenges. <laughs> I mean, the good news is, uh, I'm sure it's sort of getting into this episode, depending on where you filmed in that cul-de-sac this episode, maybe you could sort of just uh, house up in there for the time being. You could house the contestants, yes. house the crew. It could just be a, a, a suburban edition of Tough as Nails for the season. Yeah, and, and um, you know, it was interesting that that, that particular episode um, ended up becoming quite a favorite of everybody in production. And one of the things that... I loved about the particular episode was that, you know, to our earlier conversations that we could have a, a van conversation between Lee and Miles talking about something that at the time we didn't know was going to be as relevant uh, as it is now. Uh, and also the conversation between Linda and Miles with regards to the police and, and, and them having a real heart to heart. And, and it, you know, the feedback we're getting from people is that the conversations feel real. They don't feel forced and they feel like we're giving them airtime to, to talk from the heart. Like to it's, we're not kind of setting it up for them to have these conversations. They're having com these conversations because that's what they want to talk about. And I, I, I think that is unique to the show that there's enough room in the show for us to actually hit on something that can make some people uncomfortable but they're prepared to go there and we're prepared to give them the time to be able to have that conversation because these are conversations that need to be had. Uh, and if, if we're going to get away from the divisiveness of what is happening, we have to have these uncomfortable conversations where it's out in the open. It's just like, yeah, we're going to go there. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting to me because my sense of this show is that it is kind of it exists in this kind of realm outside of politics and it is kind of aggressively apolitical. And I love that you can still kind of work real world issues in there and make them very human and make yes. them very relatable on either side of the divide and without making it feel like you're being preached to. And it's such right. a fine line that you have to tread when you're doing that. I think it's really it's a testament to the people that you've brought into this cast and the story that you're telling. Yeah, I think it's, it's very true, Jess. And I think where, where, where it can become political is if you are trying to uh, paint a certain picture as a producer, uh, as a, as a storyteller, you, if you're letting them speak from their heart and, and you make it very clear that you're not taking a side, you're letting them speak that's their opinion. And, and, it, and if it's constructive the way it is, where they're listening to each other, and that to me is the key. Mm -hmm. What we're getting away from right now is people are saying things and then the, other, the person on the other side is not listening. If they disagree, then they just talk over the other person and shut them down and call them an idiot or whatever it is. And what I love about this show is that and believe me, there's, a, there's a, some real diversity in the cast and opinions and political beliefs. It's the whole gamut. 
but it never feels like anybody is shutting anybody down. Uh, it feels to me like people have a voice. They have a chance to say what they want to say. And um, yeah, they're trying to find a reason why they can make things work rather than trying to find reasons why they don't want things to work, I guess. And so even, you know, with the way that Murph dealt with the situation with Michelle, and that was a real reckoning for Michelle to sort of go, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe I am used to being in control and I have to learn to let go and to trust the team. And I thought the way that he dealt with all of that and then the way the team kind of rallied behind her and, you know, things got tense for sure. And they went back into the damn van. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. Yeah, it's great to me that you see even Murph himself, I felt last week, was kind of like act. They're all actively admitting that they've done something incorrectly and they need to adjust what they're doing, which is yeah. like antithetical to anything anybody does out in the world anymore. And so it's right. so refreshing to, to see Michelle this week saying, I was wrong about this and I need to change the way that I was doing things for the better of the group. Bill, I'm, I'm intrigued yep. to know from an editing perspective, was that Miles and Lee conversation, did that happen in this particular filming cycle? Because I know that sometimes, you know, previous conversations or future conversations might be placed in the episode to sort of highlight things like obviously this was a big Miles episode. So I could imagine if this was a previous conversation, it might get pulled forward to the episode where Miles is the most in trouble. Yeah, I mean, uh, there there are definitely there are definitely times where uh, the conversations, uh, like you'll have something, you'll have a conversation from or an interview bite that you use somewhere else in another episode because it's you know particularly like when you're doing backstories and that sort of thing. But I think uh, the way that it worked out with the vans. It's 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 hard to like pull from another day because their heads are in a different place. They're thinking about different things. Um, they don't have assigned seats. Also, do they like are they sitting in different seats in the van? No, we didn't even say who had to drive. I mean, they had to obviously have a license, but <laughs> um, ideally, does yeah, everybody have a license? Uh, not everybody was able to drive that big or felt comfortable. Oh, driving. the commercial license, sure. Yeah, because. Um, that's, that van is a big van and it's a lot of responsibility. And so we wanted everybody to feel comfortable. So, you know, Linda is, is a good driver. She's used to driving a bigger vehicle. And mm. there's certain people that wanted to take that responsibility and others who didn't because they didn't yeah. feel like they could keep everybody safe. But I, I imagine Callie's like, is it a, is it a boat? No, I'm not driving it. <laughs> she wanted to like rock up and down like she was at <laughs> Um, and, and that would go down well with the, the rest of the team. But um, the, uh, you know, part of the, one of the things that I think has been, that has really worked is, and that the audience has liked is, is this isolated, these isolated conversations, where, as I said, there's no production in there. They're, they're on their own. There'll be moments where they don't talk to each other for 10 minutes. There'll be nothing. And then, someone will see something out the window and they'll trigger, it'll trigger a conversation. But for the most part, there was a lot of stuff to sort out in the damn van and they wanted to, uh, to talk and talk things out and be better and get themselves psyched up for the day and share thoughts. And uh, so it became, it, it's almost like a confessional, you know, like we didn't, 
people said, well, why didn't you show them in their hotels or show them where they live? Quite frankly, that, that's a whole other layer of expense that mm-hmm. uh, this budget couldn't sustain. And you're talking about now covering people 24-7, and that's Big Brother, right? That's a whole other thing. We, we, uh, that was our, if you like, our uh, a go-to where they would have these intimate conversations. I've, I've often said that there's um, the best trips I've ever had and the best times I've ever had with my family or people I'm close to are on road trips because when you're forced to be together and you're forced to be close and there's nothing else to do but really just talk, you – you, you have a uh, good conversation and, and, and we, we got really great content and there's more to come. You'll see there's uh, there's some wonderful moments coming up in the damn van. And uh, uh, yeah, they, they were, the, they were really themselves in there. You know, they were, they let it go. They, and particularly, you know, as, as time goes on and they get more comfortable with each other, they, they spoke from the heart and you can hear that. So we've been following the journey of the Savage crew over these last few weeks where they have had a lot of different problems where, uh, and Miles said it last week, hey, look, we won, but we got lucky. We got lucky. We shouldn't have won this one. So maybe it was an overinflated four to one lead, but uh, we saw Savage crew get their act together in uh, the moving challenge. And that was very nice to see them coming together and finally getting a win for all these people who have been downtrodden, especially the people that are out of the game. Yeah, I I think, again, the, the other part that seems to really resonate with the audience is the idea that somebody like Lynette can get cut from the individual competition in episode two, fight like crazy with her team to try to get the team better, to be better, to be forced to be better. I mean, I thought she said some really pertinent things in that little group discussion, you know, you whooped our ass, you forced us to be better. And, you know, we thank you for that because it's because of that, that we've, we've found a way to be better. And so they had the potential from the beginning. I mean, they won the first team challenge. They, they know they can do it. And, you know, when I intervened and went in and spoke to them in, in episode five, and I said to them, you guys, you can be better if you get yourself together and you figure out who's going to do what you can be better, you know, like do it. And, um, and then in six, they rallied, like you said, I mean, how close was that finish? They were literally one barrel out of place. And the, can you imagine after it was like 40 something minutes that it took to do that whole challenge? And it literally came down. Like they dropped the pins in the back of the, of the trailer at exactly the same moment. It would we would have had to go to the tape. We wouldn't. I couldn't have called that. It was literally like they dropped the pins, and so Miles called out his team, and then then you saw last night. You saw Dirty Hands kind of got complete. They completely lost their way. They who was leading that? I Danny was meant to be, but then Callie was weighing in, and then Miles and and. Uh, and Lee like barging in with the big stuff, you know, like, Hey, where do you want this refrigerator? And like, they had no real plan. And Tara, that was her redemption moment last night, having come through all of the emotional challenges, you know, her wanting to prove that she was a real contributor to this team. She proved it last night. She took a hold of that challenge and showed incredible leadership. And again, had she been cut from the individual competition when she was, 
we would never have got to see her lead her team. And, and then Lewis, who comes from a very traditional family where there are specific roles for men and women. He's now seeing these women in very strong positions. There's a lot going on. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot going on, a lot of layers of things happening. And I think that's why that win was so powerful for them. And now the score is four, two, and we'll see what happens from here. You know, can they rally together and, Try to even up that score. Phil, and it's 4-2 with two team challenges left? Yeah, so we have two team challenges left, exactly. So there's a total of eight team challenges. What happens if there's a tie? Uh, then we would have to go into a tiebreaker. An OT of the team ah! challenge? Oh, wow. I'm not, I'm not going to predict anything, but I heard there was a two-hour finale in three weeks. There might be an opportunity for the time for a tiebreaker. Just saying. Don't want to don't want to prognosticate yeah, anything, but you can't call it overtime because you already have overtime. <laughs> I'm just call it the tiebreaker. I just feel like <laughs> you're looking you're looking very karate kid. That's what's going on. <laughs> there we go. I've been practicing my crane kick. You know, I, I look. Yeah. Savage Crew was able to sweep the leg at the end of the day. Dirty Hands came in. They were wearing the the black, just like Cobra Kai. Uh, and they've came yeah. in dominating, and they were sort of the the upstart here. I'm intrigued to know Phil because again, I'm I'm always uh, interested in how the edited version plays versus what happened realistically. Like, how much of a blowout was this challenge in in real time? Because it really did look like, as you mentioned, Dirty Hands was standing around doing so much talking, and there was an opportunity where where you know Savage Crew maybe had to fit a few boxes in here and there. But was it really you know? just such a great performance from them that there was no way that Dirty Hands could catch up? Well, if you look in the wide shot towards the end, uh, just as, as, as Savage Crew is look, looking to put their garage door up, I mean, sorry, the van door up, trailer door up, um, you can actually see six pieces of furniture outside Dirty Hands. And so it really came down to about six pieces. So if you go back and you have a look, you'll see there's a wide shot looking back from uh, dirty hands, the end of their trailer on the right of frame, and then uh, Savage Crew over on the left. And it was about six pieces of furniture. But Dirty Hands were picking it up because as um, as Savage Crew was getting towards the end, they were having real t- trouble with some of those awkward um, shapes of the chairs, trying to get them into the back. But again, to, to Tara's credit, she didn't panic. Um, the whole team didn't panic. They were, they were, there wasn't a raised voice. They were listening. They were working well together. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big, it was a big turning point for them. Um, they came off the back of, of, of losing that last one, realizing, wow, you know what? We're competitive. We can beat this team. And, um, and they proved it. And so they're going into the next team challenge with a lot of confidence. They know that they can do it. They've done it twice. And and dirty hands are now doubting themselves a wee bit, right? Like, what the hell happened? So yeah, um, this is what you want too. I mean, yeah, theoretically, the teams should be pretty even because when you do the when we did the combine in episode one, the idea is that two of the strongest people are picking teams. So you're immediately taking two strong people to then start picking people, and theoretically, they're picking the next strongest and the next strongest and the, you know, or who they think is, but then there's that randomness to, you know, who Michelle was picked last because 
there was a bias. There's no doubt about it. But we wanted to show that. We didn't want to steer away from that either. Like people would probably think, oh, well, Michelle would be the last pick. But, you know, they didn't necessarily realize at that time that what Michelle's real strengths were and just that she was going to go so deep into the competition, into the individual competition. And again, this is part of what we're trying to do with the show. And it's impossible. It's impossible to make anything totally equal for, for everybody. It's impossible. You, you can't, you can't because of all kinds of factors, not just male, female and age and all of that, but just the life skills that people bring into it. But as much as possible, we are trying to balance this and you try to get it as right as you can. But, you know, it's not a science. There's not a science to this. It's it's challenging. Well, it's interesting. I think it's because you're coming at it thinking about intelligence in a completely different way, because we all know on some level there are different types of intelligence. But almost every reality show has a very narrow definition of what a smart player is and what a good player is. Right. And here you're rejecting that premise. And I think you're making it, you're making everybody better able to show off all the different ways in which they are smart by bringing the real world examples into it and showing how you can take one skill you've learned from a completely unrelated place and apply it somewhere different. And I, I love that these people are all, clearly highly intelligent and very good at what they do, but they're not only good at the specific thing they do, but they are able to take what they know about that and bring it into other things. And Mm. other shows don't get that right because they're testing for such a specific type of intelligence. So somebody like Michelle is always the first one out. I knew it was a different type of show when she wasn't the first one out. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's such an astute observation because there isn't the dimension in a lot of shows to be able to test exactly what you're talking about. Um, Some shows have it, but a lot of shows, like you said, they're very specific about what it is they're testing in the ability of a contestant. If you ask a contestant to run over a course from point A to point B, there is some intelligence involved in terms of choosing a particular technique to get over a hurdle or to, you know, where you're going to jump when you jump from one thing to another and are you going to go high on the rope or low on the rope net or, you know, how your your technique. But there's not the same kind of variables about even just even with the trash challenge. The trash challenge came from was inspired by me watching rugby players who I know in New Zealand used or use that as a, that job as a method for training in rugby because. Huh. You're out, you're out on the, uh, and you'll see these guys, they, they treat it like it's training and they're out on the streets and they're doing it as fast as they can. Um, because they get the aerobic workout and then they get the anaerobic with the lifting of the bags and the bags vary in different weights. But if you, I loved what I loved was, okay, Danny was going to crisscross across the street. Then Murph decided, no, I could see that Danny was having trouble crisscrossing, I'm going to stick to one side and just stick to one side. Then Danny's doing the calculation about, well, how many bags are on that side? And then you saw Miles was like, he's going to try to pick up three bags at one time. Everybody had these different techniques. And 
And uh, my, my grandfather would always say to me, the most important part of any job is, is the planning of the job. Like lay out the job, look at the job, assess the job and figure out how you're going to approach it rather than just sort of charging into it and, and then getting to, oh, I could do this, I could do that. Stand back and look at the job, assess it, and then go, this is the approach I'm going to take, which is, which is again, about trying to do the job to the best of your ability from the, from the onset, right? So the garbage truck, was. I'm intrigued, was that adjusted? Because I know you guys have done a great job of like adjusting individualized challenges to each person's weight or height or what have you. Did that happen with the garbage truck as well? Because I can imagine... Uh, somebody like Linda, who's running like a Terminator, probably has like a different speed in terms of being able to keep up with a garbage truck than someone like Michelle, who, you know, was trying her heart out as she was pumping those legs, getting those garbage bags in. Yeah. And, and, and look, this goes back to the conversation I was just having before where you can't make everything equal, like um, meaning that speed of the truck is the speed that we found was the speed that they use on the job. That's the speed job, right? That's what they do in the real world is that is what is expected of the person who does the trash. So we could back the speed down to make it an easier speed for Michelle, right? And then you could say, well, now it's fair for Michelle, but now that's a different measure now for somebody who like a Linda, who, can actually keep up with that speed. Michelle is more used to lifting bags than Callie is. Those bags varied in weight from five pounds all the way to 35 pounds that were randomly placed. When they picked up the bag, they could feel whether it was a super light as a feather bag or whether it was a heavier bag. It's just some things you can't get into every single nuance of every single challenge, but that's the way it was. Um, but you could say, okay, so we'll make it more, we'll make the speed more fair for the speed of Michelle. But then how do you then adjust a puzzle challenge to make it more fair for somebody who's not as good at puzzles and Michelle is better? Like you, there, there, there are these variables that you can't just, you can't keep adjusting to suit every single person because you go up for that person, down for that person, across here for that person, up here for that person. So you, you have to kind of understand that there's a reason in the Olympics why there's a heavyweight division, a lightweight division, why a marathon runner is not going to do as well in a challenge with a with a, uh, a heavyweight weightlifter who couldn't run around the track once. So you, if and, and if you think about it, we have those extremes, right? Imagine if we lined up a 350 pound weightlifter from Russia with a uh, you know, a, 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 a marathon runner from Ecuador, and and then you and then you gave them something. You know, it gave them a challenge. There's the two completely different physiques, the two different completely different skill sets. There are certain things where one is better than the other. You can't, you can't with what we're doing make everything equal for every single person. It's impossible. So you have to kind of you have to go. Okay, we're going to try to go down the middle here. And it's definitely going to put some people in a disadvantage and some in an advantage. But then you hope that over the season, it all evens out. And and do we get that absolutely right? You could never you could never absolutely get that absolutely right for every single person. It's impossible. The thing that I think that Tough as Nails excels at 
is that other competition shows would not continue to adjust for that and test different right. aspects where right. I think you are bringing in enough different challenges that test enough different things and have enough different approaches to solving a problem that you really are mitigating a lot of that without going like full Harrison Bergeron on it. Yes. And if you think about it, Michelle could have come back from that. For, yes, she was at a disadvantage with the speed on the trash. She had no problem picking up those bags. I mean, you see the way she lifted those bags? That was like nothing for her. It wasn't the lifting of the bags. It was the speed. Uh, whereas whereas um, Callie was struggling with the weight of the bags more than Michelle was. Michelle's used to throwing big 50-pound bags around. These are not too heavy for her. The, high, the heaviest bag was 35 pounds. She had difficulty with the speed. But then she absolutely, with... You know, you heard Lisa, she's, you know, good with her hands, good, good at dexterity. She beat Miles in the Brick Lane Challenge. Very good life skills. Uh, very good with patents. Very smart. She could have easily beaten him and taken him out and taken out this guy who theoretically was meant to be a faster runner and stronger in the trash. So, um, yeah, we're 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 trying to. Yeah, I mean, as somebody somebody said last night, by the way. It was unfair because um, Miles left gaps in the in the brick. Um, the The challenge was not about making the challenge was not about making sure that the gaps between all the bricks were perfectly even through the whole pattern. The challenge was get all the bricks in place, <laughs> make sure that they all the bricks fit inside the circle, and so that was the challenge. So yes, it wasn't properly spaced that's what you would do if you were putting mortar in there but yeah. we weren't phil i was disappointed that at the end nobody came in to drop the uh spec mix uh into uh <laughs> those guys could have come in and really just like sealed the uh, whole thing up because yeah. you know you know matt cash would have loved a good hot dog and a hamburger and mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, can, we, can we talk about that for a sec? Because I thought, again, that speaks towards the warmth and the care that you and the production crew really bring to the participants. Whereas, you know, maybe other shows have been more so accused of uh, not treating their contestants in the nicest ways. I, I just love that moment because, again, it, it breeds that sort of natural sociability that we get in the, the sit down between Callie and Michelle. But also it just seemed like a really fun time these guys to just like hang out especially those that were not participating in overtime they could grab some hot dogs grab some beers and you were also in a very unique setting to yep. the previous toughest nails challenges where it wouldn't feel out of the ordinary to be able to have a backyard barbecue yeah and look we that's one of those season one let's just try and see what happens kind of things and we didn't know if it was going to feel too you know like a cable show where they're doing like an extreme <laughs> like a, like some kind of makeover in the backyard <laughs> and maybe it's going to feel a little like too small, not, not network. But we also thought, you know what? These are people who really appreciate a good shake. They loved it. A good hamburger and a good gathering in the backyard. And, you know, these are, you know, look how happy Lee was. He was, he just, was giddy. Just giddy with excitement. And, 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 uh, and he, and when he goes, um, Oh God, I love the guy so much, but he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, well, ain't this, you know, ain't this something? Ain't this something like he's just so happy to like this shake is good. Shake ain't this something. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that's like, you know, again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that necessarily in another competition 
but he was totally at home. He was he was in his friend's backyard, like he was with his mates in the backyard having a barbecue, and he just soaked it up. And and uh, yeah, so um, we didn't know how it was going to play, and but we also thought it would be fun for them. You know, they they're constantly competing, and you know, going in. The, you know, we're driving them all over LA to go do this, that, and the other, and and we just thought, you know, let's have a little. A little downtime for for the people who could have a bit of downtime. Phil, I don't know if uh, Lee was just too hopped up on sodas or milkshakes yeah, or, or or what. But he was like, it's like when my kids like have too much dessert. He was just like yeah. out of control. Here's him rooting on Miles in the challenge. I see that truck in your driveway, man. Don't let me down. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate you. He's just laughing maniacally. I listen. I just, I wish I could just have Lee around like all the time with me. I'd be like, hey, Lee, you know, I wish he'd just pop out out around the corner. You need to patent the pocket, Lee, just like Lee's catchphrases in the, in the palm of your hand that you could produce at any point in time. Uh, I loved him coining Michelle the Maneater. I feel like Maneater yes. Michelle is now something we can call her from now on. Yeah, I mean, and she did. And then. And then the way he's, he, you know, the way he kind of like set it all up for us with Miles, like, you better watch out. She's good in the garden and she's, she's, you know, she's very good at puzzles. You better watch out. I'm just telling you, she's a man eater. And it's like, it's just so fun. You know, there's, um, there's like a, a lot of good mutual respect and uh, that's nice. It's just, it's just nice that they can still be super competitive with each other, but at the same time, very respectful as well. It doesn't, we don't have to get into like bashing each other. <laughs> yeah. Nobody in this cast hates each other. And no. I think that is also unique among reality show casts. Not only are there, I mean, there's personality conflicts, but nobody like, actively dislikes each other. And you're also not encouraging people to. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, you know, things, things have, along the way got heated here and there a few different times, but We've also tried to figure out a way for them to resolve it because at the end of the day, they need each other. And that's life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've all got family members that we don't necessarily agree with. And, you know, Uncle, well, like what's that movie with Uncle Buck when he comes to stay? Uncle Buck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Uncle Buck. <laughs> uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that he was your uncle, you'd have nothing to do with Uncle Buck. But Uncle Buck is just a part of your life because he's a family member. And so it's sort of like that with this show where, you know, this is your family. You're stuck with them. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Phil, I did really like, and we touched on uh, uh, Miles uh, in the van, in the damn van with Lee, but also Callie with uh, Michelle. I thought that that was interesting that we had those two conversations, which is basically, yeah. basically it's like some version of like, hey, like uh, you're me in 20 years. Yes. Yeah. I, I One of my favorite moments and and look we were really uh breaking a little convention i guess for a competition reality show where you don't really have those moments like that where it, it, you know there's a lot of competition reality shows where it's all about and the next competition is you know, no, and lining up from so-and-so is this that and the other and here you have a conversation where a woman like michelle who's pretty much twice the age of Callie, twice the life experience. And you've got this incredibly capable woman in Callie who has trained divers at NASA, 
who's been out on oil rigs, who's the captain on a boat, who uh, whose father has always encouraged her to go toe to toe with guys and never back down from from a fight. And she's looking at Michelle and going, I want to be like you when I get older. You know, I, I look up to you and you terrify us. And and, you know, Michelle really did terrify people. I mean, she took down some really tough people on this show. And uh, it was her her story was such an important one on tough as nails as far as our mandate to redefine toughness. So I thought Callie really encapsulated because Callie is a badass, looks like a badass. Where she kicks the she kicked the door down and show one of three at the uh, pick apart, just knock that door and the way she's attacked everything on the show, for her to be able to give that kudos to to Michelle spoke to me to me spoke volumes about what the show has managed to to do in terms of getting rid of some of the bias that we all have. Because listen, there's none of us that would look at Michelle at an airport. At, at the gate and go, oh, that woman's probably pretty, pretty badass. You don't, right? Well, we've, we've all walked past people that we probably wouldn't think would be a competitive athlete or a competitor in a show called Tough as Nails, but she's mm-hmm. proven mm-hmm. otherwise. One of my favorite things uh, from the Miles and Lee conversation uh, before Lee got hopped up on sugar was, you know, him telling Miles, you know, you never know who you'll influence from the next generation. And I think that connects back to both that and that conversation that you talked about with with Callie and Michelle, where I don't think people like Michelle or Lee mean to necessarily go out there and be like, I want to inspire the next generation. Uh, but I think to your point about casting, it, it, this is why it's been espoused, especially recently, that representation does matter. Uh, yes. Is because I, I think it really does matter to see a black forestry worker, for example, when Miles talks about the fact that that is not a, exactly a, a service that encapsulates minorities necessarily. Being able to say like, okay, just because I look a certain way, I can still you know, go after what I want to do no matter what it might be. It's a, it's a really inspiring message and that includes with age and I'm sure the various you know, hurdles that Lee and Michelle have been able to go through. So even just their presences on the season, I think you have succeeded on your mission statement in that capacity where not only are they inspiring the people directly on the show with them who are younger than them, but I'm assuming those that are even younger or of the same age watching from home being like, wow, look at the badass things these people in their 60s are doing. Age really is just a number. Yeah, and and if you remember earlier when young, that really powerful moment in show five where young is talking to Lewis and he and he just says... When you were growing up, did you see anybody who looked like you on TV? Did you see anybody that looked like you doing what we do? <clears throat> and the, those those are important things to be said. To your point, where he's trying to inspire young Asian kids to think that they could actually be a firefighter, and uh, we're giving somebody like him. And I, I, I said this to, I said this to all of the cast at the very beginning. I said, do not underestimate the power that all of you have to share a message with the audience. Yes, you're coming on this show because you want to win the money and you want to prove something to yourselves or to your family 
but remember that there is a younger version of yourself or someone who is like you watching. What would you say? And I would say to, uh, I remember saying this one day before we, before the camera started rolling and say, what would you say to your miles? What would you say to your younger self? If you had someone your age as a mentor, what would you wanted to, what would you want to say to that younger version of yourself? And think about that because we have all these people around here telling your story. You can tell us whatever you want to tell us, but tell us what that is. And we will find a way to impart that on, on the show. So young has gone back to his job and he's, created this community where he's got other Asian workers in the trades who he is working with to try to reach out to the Asian community and to say, these are jobs that you guys can do. You can be a plumber. You can, you can get in the trades and make good money. You could be a firefighter. And, and it's, he's sort of taken it upon himself. Now, if you think about it, young is who's the first person that ran to Linnet? Who's the first person that, if you think about all the way through the series so far, is the first to run out and check in on somebody? He's a very caring kind of person. He's not necessarily like cutthroat, like a, um, you know, cutthroat competitor like a Danny is. And that's not a criticism. It's just, you know, Danny's nature is to, he's hyper competitive. But Young is more of the team player, nurturing person to reach out and, and to, to, to help his fellow person. Uh, his fellow teammates, sorry, in, in any challenge. I think he's the one, the first person to want to reach out and say, hey, how you doing? Let me help you out. You can see how much he cares about other people. And those are powerful messages. Phil, I really wanted to know from the episode last night, we saw a lot of people uh, take some nasty falls uh, as they were chasing the garbage truck. Specifically, it seemed like that Miles, uh, uh, that he, he took a spill and hit his head on the garbage truck. Was any of, of those sounds that we heard, was that, was that Miles or was, that was Young? I don't think anyone hit their head on the garbage truck. I mean, maybe from a distance because of the yeah. long leg impression it might have looked like he hit his head but no they they uh and nobody hit their head on the ground or anything um it was but they definitely took a tumble and yeah hit their heads and, and and certainly whacked their knees pretty bad okay um but yeah was it ever explained what happened to young uh, because you see him in the confessionals he's got a bandage on his hand just grazed yeah mm-hmm. i mean but you know a lot of these you also have to understand that their measure of their measure of of, of an owie is very is <laughs> is very different from everybody else's measure of an owie, right? Like, so I mean, they're constant. Look, did you see Melissa's hands during the the, the alternated challenge, and they're all bleeding? Mm-hmm. You know, I pointed it out. But did she say anything? When Young fell over and grazed his hands, did he say anything? When, when, uh, uh, you know, when when any of them have had an owie, none of them kind of, like we would go to them and say, "Hey, uh, you want us to take a look at that?" And we'll, you know, get a medic there to like clean that up. And, oh, 
nothing. I mean, Callie, Callie is a person who played rugby who had to have a, a titanium plate put in her shoulder who, who was out at sea, who blew the titanium plate out of her shoulder while she was at sea. And rather than give up the, the, you know, give up the season and take the boat into shore so she could get the titanium plate put back in, strapped her arm up and continued fishing for the rest of the season with the titanium plate hanging out of her shoulder. Uh, I mean, uh, what? Their, their what? measure, what? their 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 owie measurement is just different. And <laughs> um, and and it's a little bit like you know we would get people say. Well, it looks so dangerous with them working with these tools. And and uh, y- you have to understand that the measure of what is danger to them compared to the measure of what is danger to the common person is night and day. I mean, they're 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 dealing with these machines and Lynette's getting burnt every single day with welding pieces of hot metal that are flying in her hair and catching fire. And she comes home with burns all over her. That's normal. That's normal. Go to work stuff. That's not, you know, working at a fortune 500 company in a, um, in a big high rise office building. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely some, there was some discomfort, but for them it's compared to what our measurement is. It's very different. It's a little bit like a rugby player and a uh, and a soccer player. Like a soccer player gets kicked in the shin and they're rolling on the ground and oh my god, it's like you would think that they just had their leg taken off. And then a rugby player, you know, there's a huge. I'm watching the rugby competition in New Zealand right now. They got uh, provincial rugby on, and and these guys are like bleeding all over the place and. You know, I played rugby and I remember it would be like, oh, yeah, just like they used to take a bit of, uh, of grease and they just put it on the cut where you're because you're always constantly getting cuts around the eyes. And you just like get back out there. You know, <laughs> the measurement is different for different people. So, Jess, I'm interested because I heard that you were a little nervous to like speak openly with me when I was here. And, you know, now you had a chance before when I wasn't here to like speak openly. Um, and so I'm just making sure that you're speaking openly today and you're not holding back and you don't feel like I'm suppressing your, you know, like you're not nervous about saying something or anything. Are you feeling okay? Is everything okay? God, I'm getting called out by Phil. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, but you mustn't be nervous. You must feel like this is an open forum. Um, you know, so don't, don't hold back. It's all good. We can we can take it all. Um, and I think I think you also uh, you said something in my as I'm listening in my with my sore throat to you guys last week, you said uh, you said something like, um, oh, the thing with Michelle, like signposting Michelle because it was Michelle's episode last week and highlighting her. That was not a the only reason she was highlighted is because that was the day that it became very evident that, I mean, she had to be highlighted. That was the story, you know? Um, she she was the story that day, along with Lewis's finger. So that's why the two of them got singled out. Don't forget that that van conversation and us highlighting that came after the first day shooting. So the, the individual thing hadn't even happened at that point. Even though it ended up becoming her episode, 
the the highlighting of her in the vein was what happened way before we got to her story at the back end. We didn't know that that was coming. So anyway, I hope you feel like there's an open forum here, Jess. And, you know. Fair enough. I'm, I'm, but I'm still this silence now. <laughs> I'm still on. much nicer about this show than I am about anything else. I like this show a lot better than most oh, of okay. the other stuff. But right. you know, like Mike and I bash on Star Trek constantly when it's on, and we're pretty sure that they're not going to come back at us and and be like, "Okay, put me on the podcast so I can respond to some of these criticisms of the storyline." No, no, no. It's not. I'm not. I'm just saying to you that. We can always agree to disagree on things, and 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 that's I think yeah. the value of a good conversation. And um, you know, at the end of the day, what what all television is and all storylines are is is a subjective, cho- you know, subjective choices that are made. There's so many different pathways that you can take with any story, and where you choose to lean into certain things and give certain s- storylines room, um, and especially when you're dealing with stuff like the Callie Michelle conversation or the Lee Miles conversation, like how much is enough and is it, is it relevant? And do people want to see that? And you just don't know, you know, and so for some people it'd be like, Oh, I'd like more. And then there are other people like, I don't like it at all. And then there's other people like mm, felt about right. Or, um, so well, I think one of the most useful things of talking to you throughout the season has been, and I hope this is the takeaway that our listeners get is that every single thing they see on TV is a conscious choice. And I think it's such a useful exercise to kind of interrogate those choices and find out why you did things the way you did. And I, I think it's been such a great look into how television of any type gets made. I don't think everybody is as conscientious as you are about the storytelling choices they make, but I think it's, I think there's a baseline level that I think a lot of casual viewers don't understand. Especially in a new show, because uh, I know that yeah. we on the network are used to covering, you know, Survivor, Big Brother, even The Amazing Race. Reaching season 32, you'd have to imagine that there are practices that are put into place at this point from doing it just so many times. And the fun, in quotations, I will say, uh, from your perspective, Phil, is that you, you do have to make those very deliberate choices, like you mentioned. And so it's a perspective we're also not really used to experiencing just from our own coverage perspective. So it's, it's been something that I have, have greatly enjoyed. And I'm, I'm the listeners have expressed that as well. Yeah. And, and you have to also understand that just as we're, we're able to have a, a conversation about choices and why we choose to do certain things. Um, all of those, all of those, like it, it, as, as, as a showrunner, you, you're, you're pulling together a group of people that you hope will help you, bring a vision to life, but you have to also make sure that you don't get too tunnel to have too much tunnel vision that you're open to other people's input. And, and so there's been amazing choices that have happened. You know, we, we, we get, we give the editors and the story producers the ingredients to tell the stories and, and then they will, they will surpass your expectations sometimes with, the content that you know you've given them and you think, well, it's going to be, that's going to work out nicely, that little storyline. And then the editors and the story producers will take it to another level and make you rethink the way you might've thought something was going to work out. And so you have to be open. And that's part of the, the beauty of working with really good people is that they open up your eyes to new possibilities 
and they push the boundaries of what you can do with storytelling. And then they'll fight for things that they think are really important. And it's always very hard to make an executive decision about what you pull and what you choose to keep in or what you really, you really want to fight for, but you've also got to, you've also got to be open to listening to uh, choices that different people are making because they're only doing it to try to make it better. And um, there isn't, there is, it's not a science. It's not a, you know, 30 seconds is enough or it's got to be 45 or it's, it's a feel thing. And, and uh, that's why when, when we do notes, I try to, I try to just watch it without stopping when I'm doing notes because I'm trying to react like a, like a viewer would, but then my reaction as a viewer is going to be obviously different as a, as a guy, you know, 53. Now my reaction to that is going to be very different from somebody who's a 35 year old woman, for instance. So you have to kind of be open. Well, what do they want to hear about? What are they, what's important to them? And <laughs> it's, it's, you realize you can't please everybody, but, and it's important to listen, but then it's also important not to lose track of what the vision is. What, what is it that you set out to do in the first place? Because otherwise you end up with a diluted mess because you're trying to please too many people and it becomes something that you never intended it to be. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really difficult. I mean, that's going back to this whole thing about the, the season one to season two. Why is it so hard? It's so hard because you have to get so much right and you don't get a second chance. You know, people get put off by the smallest things and the balance of a team challenge and an individual challenge and the overtime and then the drive time and then these little reality moments and how much and how much do you pepper in there? And if they get a bad taste somewhere along the way, you can just shut somebody out and then you've lost them. You know, you're never going to get them back. So it's it's hard. It's 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 difficult. And, you know, uh, they're the shows that get it right. Then once you get it right, you try to then you try to polish that, right? You try to make it better and better. Yeah. And Jess, that you don't have to worry about uh saying anything. Phil is a rugby player. He's uh <laughs> had uh, cuts all over him. He goes right back out there. He's not one of these soccer playing TV hosts, okay? <laughs> yeah. His his measure for tweet ouchies is uh, a pretty high tolerance. Yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 I would like to think that I've got, you know, now that I've been around enough, 35, 35, yeah, 35 years in the business. Um, I would like to think I've got pretty good, pretty thick skin. Uh, and uh, I, I've had my fair share of uh, <laughs> ups and downs and, and successes and failures and learned things the hard way. And um, yeah, you've got to be, you, you've got to be, You've got to you've got to come at things like you're still learning because if you ever get sucked into thinking you know everything, you're done. Mm -hmm. Especially with the way this business is, you've got to be pushing yourself constantly and be open and looking around. What are people watching? What are they zeroing in on? And but what what I do know after all this time is that at the end of the day, you cannot get away from good old fashioned sitting around the campfire, storytelling, beginning, middle, and end. And my old mentor, who I learned more from uh, as, with regards to storytelling than anybody, he always said to me, at the end of the day, put yourself 
sitting with a group of people around a fire and you're telling a story. If you're not captivating, if you can't captivate people with whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the format, it doesn't matter whether it's a game show, a documentary, a reality show like Tough as Nails. If you can't hold people captive around a campfire with a good beginning, middle and end story, then you got nothing because human beings love the adversaries and they love the heroes and they love the villains and they love story arcs and they like things to come to a conclusion. And um, you got to suck them in, pull them along. And it's that, that basic storytelling doesn't matter what it is. If you don't get it right, nothing will be right. All right. Should we end with some Kiwi words? Well, before I, yes, Ooh, please. Yes. yes, please. Okay. Are you, have you got anything else for me, Jess? Anything that you need to say to me? <laughs> honestly, look, look, Phil, if I, if my smart mouth alienated you from appearing on RHAP ever again, it wouldn't be the first time. I'm just saying. No, no way. No, 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 no. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. I, I space, this is the damn van of podcasts. Like we're all open it, with true. each other here. All right. We're going to have a talking it, it van. Is. We're going to the damn van. Yeah. We're going back and have a conversation in the damn van. <laughs> all right. Uh, damn van, van cam. Yeah. Three words. Three words. I'm just going to put them out to all of you at the same time so you can kind of guess your way through this. Okay. The word, the word is chur. Chur. And chur. It's C-H-U-R. What is the meaning of chur? Well, the way that Phil's delivering it sounds like almost like a positive affirmation. Like, hey, do you want to go to the barbecue and get beers with Lee? You'd say chur. But I don't know. Does this sound too much like sure? Is that like a trap? Hmm. Yeah, I don't really have a good feel it's, on... It feels like an interjection to me. Right. Like, I don't know if like the uh, the Kiwi slang is like kind of like Cockney where uh, it's sort of like it's sort of a, it's a sound alike and then it means the same thing. <laughs> We're gonna yeah, get- we'll go get some beers. <laughs> yeah. That, I have no idea what, what the hell was that, karate boy. Um, all right. We're going to give the point to Mike. Yeah. Mike, one point to you. Chur is a strong voicing of agreement, of approval. Okay. Nice, nice work, Mike. All right. The uh, <laughs> time correct to I got the work whistle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm like Pavlov's dog. I hear the work whistle. I'm like, time to go to work. Hold on. Yeah. Um, okay. The next word is uh, chunder. Chunder. Oh, I know this one. Yes. This is this is an amen at work song. So I know what this one is. What, do you, what is it? Do you come from the land down chunder or what's the. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually it's in it's in the song. I I believe um, I believe it means to vomit. You are absolutely correct. It does mean to vomit, and it um, it, it it derives from rhyming slang, mm-hmm. um, which uh, and and spew basically. So um, anyway, uh, very good, Jess. That's one point to you, Rob. You need to make up on the okay. last one. All right. Yeah, I believe the exact lyric is. Um, land down under where beer does flow and men chunder. Yes, you're right. Mm, okay. Very good. Uh, Kina. K-I-N-A. Kina. K-I-N-A. Uh, Rob, it's so close to an acronym for one of your most beloved podcasts, so this is all you. Hmm. K-I-N-A. Um, 
Uh, I don't know, Phil. It is a common sea urchin. Oh, oh. like uh, like a squid. No, not like no. a squid. Sea urchin. Sea <laughs> urchin is different. Spiky. You didn't do biology at school, or no, no. <laughs> if you heard, if you hear Rob's opinions on bugs, then no, that's the answer. <laughs> it's it's also the name of a haircut. Oh. Oh, interesting. Is it like, do you have like spikes in your hair? Is that they like say, make me look like a sea urchin? It's, you look like, uh, you, you look like you got spikes in your hair, just like those little sea urchins. Have you seen the sea urchins I'm talking about? They got like a whole oh, yeah. bunch of really sharp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So nothing to do with the squid. Okay. Because you wouldn't want a squid hair, hairdo. No. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. No. And squid tastes better than sea urchins. Like, you don't want to eat a sea urchin. Yeah, and uh, you, and you want to you would want to step on one instead of the other definitively. Yes, yeah, yes. you never want to step on one, but no, sea urchin is good. You know, it's a good sushi thing. You guys have probably had it, right? Sea yeah, urchin. I've had it. Yeah, it's I'd rather eat squid. Could mm-hmm. make it chugger. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure, for sure, okay. for well, sure, uh, sure. All right, guys. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, can you blow the work whistle so I can yes, go to work? Yes, okay, Phil. Go to <laughs> go to work. Enough, enough uh, horsing around. Because I know there's probably somebody out there who's asking. Where is my man Phil at? Yeah. Time to go to work. Okay, time to go to work. Phil, I, I, thanks, Phil. I don't necessarily get my hands dirty, but I'm going to work. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm back to the, you know, the tough as nails office where there's a crowd. Hello, crowd. Not so much. Crowd goes wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Phil, thank you so much. We always appreciate you spending time with us. And again, congratulations on the pickup for season two. Yeah. And thanks for being here. And um, I uh, hope you enjoy next week. We've only got, what, three episodes left? Oh, my God. Okay. Mm. It's all happening. Two-hour two finale. Okay. Three episodes, two nights. Is that right? Uh, no, no, I think the last the last the last episode's a two hour. Oh, one. three nights, yes. four hours. Correct. Okay. Four hours of TV left, and uh, I, again, I don't want to hype it up too much, but oh my god, I can't wait for you guys yeah. to see. You can hype right. it up. Excited. Yeah, it, it's it's some fun times. We'll see you soon. Okay, take care, Phil. And thanks, Bye. Phil. Okay, there you go. All right, um, Jess, are you okay? I I I feel like. If if that was coming from anybody else, I wouldn't be. But yeah, take it from, from a man whose last interaction with Jeff Probst uh, went like, uh, "Do you even like me?" <laughs> you know, it's it, it could be an awkward uh, position. Yeah, I, I guess so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so what uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention from the episode, and uh, we can address anything else that. Uh, you both have from the show. Uh, Roofer Lee hates moving. He hates. <laughs> yeah. He hates moving. Really bothers him. Like moving? I don't know. Uh, I, I, as someone who recently experienced it, not particularly. It's one of these things where, like, it, it's a bit of a memory erasure. Where, like, there's a period of about six months when you're like, "God, moving sucked," and then you immediately forget about the process of mm. moving. But by the time you want to move again, you're like, oh, it's not going to be so bad. And then you remind yourself how terrible moving is. Yeah. Jess, is that like childbirth? Is that like then? Yeah, it's exactly like childbirth. I guess so. Um, So, Roofer Lee, I imagined him as a minimalist. I didn't think he had that much stuff. Uh, But apparently, Roofer Lee really hates moving. I hate moving. And I 
we end up moving into wintertime. <laughs> Why does it end up moving in the wintertime? Winter is Honestly, coming, Rufley. I would say moving in the wintertime has got to be better than moving in August mm-hmm. when it's 95 degrees out, which has been every time yeah. I have moved personally. I was going to say every move that I made has always been. It was like, I don't know whether it's just like uh, urban leases have always been up, not Jessica leases, mm-hmm. but I've always been up in June or July or August. So that's when I moved. But Rob, you put a great idea in my head of imagining Lee and Westeros being on, you know, uh, the <laughs> winter is coming, Lee. Yeah. Get on the move. move. <laughs> him and the hound should be in on the move back to find Lee's family <laughs> okay um, Jess did you have anything else from the episode proper Um, I wasn't going to insult Phil's intelligence by asking him if those boxes were empty because they sure seemed like they were empty mm. yeah. they were like playing basketball with them at one point I the moving challenge was super interesting because I will admit given my uh, broad based knowledge of like what constitutes you know the tough as nails moniker. I guess my thought was when I was thinking about like blue collar jobs and thinking of like the oil derrick and the bricklayer and all this stuff. I never really thought of mover mm-hmm. as one of them. And even Phil points out like 10% of people move every year, but it's still a big business. So it's, it's one of those challenges that I, I did not think it'd be an occupation that we would look into for this particular show, but it actually ended up being a really interesting challenge though. Not realistic to a real move. Uh, nary a mover's blanket around if they were to move i would feel sorry for that poor piano because that thing is gonna be like smashed in half by the time it gets to that house okay uh a couple of weeks ago we got to play uh two truths and a lie for lewis uh <laughs> oh, yeah. the tough as nails social media account has posted a couple of new episodes of <laughs> two truths of a lie are you, are you, oh, good I haven't, I haven't watched this one yet are, are you both ready to play two truths and a lie for miles if yes, it goes sir. the same way as Lewis, okay. <laughs> All right. Answer. All right. Let's listen to the three things. And as uh, I need to remind myself, two of them are true things. <laughs> One of them is a lie. Okay. All right. Uh, let's listen. Here's Miles. My name is Miles, and here are my two truths and a lie. I love anime. I love cinema rolls, and my favorite color is orange. Okay. I love anime. I love cinnamon rolls. And my favorite color is orange. Oh my God. So I, this is a complete swerve, right? Because Lewis, it was what, like, I have a son, I am a scaffolder, and I'm, a, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid. So this is really a get to know you about Lewis, about uh, Miles. I'd like to believe that he does like anime because I feel like he was doing a bit of like a Naruto run with the trash bags <laughs> uh, as he was tearing down that cul-de-sac. So I'm between cinnamon rolls and orange personally. Mm. I wonder when these were recorded because if he does like orange, would he feel bad he wasn't on the orange team? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say um, I, I, I'm going to say Miles knows how to play two truths and a lie because I feel like these are much these are much harder and he kind of calibrated his lie to fit the truths. So I, I have to give him some props for that. I'm going to say he secretly hates cinnamon rolls. Okay. Okay. And so, I'm going to go with orange here. Yeah. I think that his, he's going to say, uh, no, I love anime. I love cinnamon rolls. My favorite color is green. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, well, that makes sense. He's a, he's a forester. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's, let's hear what miles has to say. The last one is the lie. 
my favorite color is not orange. It's blue. Yeah. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> you got. You're wrong, Rob. It's blue. It's black oh, blue. These guys yeah. are giving away the game by being like two truths and a lie. Okay, so that means so I they literally two do two, two things that are true lie. and a lie. So, Mike, look at us. We did it. We know everything. We're the best at this game. Hey, 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 before we celebrate, that was lucky. Oh, all right. <laughs> Sorry, Miles. <laughs> Now I have a sweat beating down my forehead like an anime character in response to you laying into me like that. Yeah. All right. You want to he- hear Tara's uh, Two Truths and a Lie? They call this game just Tough Bluff. <laughs> okay. Tough Bluff for Tara. Here we go. All right. Let's see if the third thing is the lie. I'm Tara. I have five kids. I'm an iron worker and I'm afraid of spiders. Okay. All right. Tara. <laughs> literally. Uh, that. I, okay. She's literally lower thirded in this video as Tara Davis iron worker. <laughs> I'm Tara. I'm Tara. I have five kids. I'm an iron worker. I have an iron worker, and I'm afraid of spiders. This is very much in the Lewis model. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like I think she might have four kids. Actually, oh. she might put the lie up front here. This might be lie to truth. I I can't say anything because I actually I accidentally watched this one, Rob. I okay, didn't oh, you I have to abstain. On it. So, yes. Yeah. You, your integrity. Is, I, I'm compromised. Is, uh, so I have to say she's not afraid of spiders. Okay, let's let's diverge here. I'm going to go with the five kids. In the same way that uh, Lewis is not afraid, she but she's also not afraid. Let's see. I'm and I'm afraid of spiders. Okay, and the lie is dot dot the dot. The lie was I don't have five kids. I only have four. Oh my! <laughs> I know the progeny of Tara's family very well. Yeah, one one of them it's is, is America, you know that, right? Mike. <gasps> yeah, yeah. One of them is America, right? It was oh, America's right, right. birthday. Remember? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. look, look at this. Tara is changing the game. Good week for her as leader of Savage Crew, and good week here, uh, ch- changing the model of two truths and a lie to not literally be two truths and a lie. Though she probably had the worst truth yet in that mm-hmm. saying she was an iron worker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. There we go. So we'll see if we get any more uh, tough truths uh, coming up. That we can talk about. Uh, such a fun game. Kudos to the Toughest Nails uh, CBS Twitter account. We Rob, love it. Uh, quick, quick question for you. I don't know. Did you notice the way that Phil randomized how people did the trash run? Uh, what You mean they did like a random draw? Yes, but yeah. Phil drew ping pong balls out of a hard hat. Oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, that's good, a good way to do it. I actually think that uh, the, and we, that if we this would have came up, I, I could have mentioned this to Phil uh, that they shouldn't have gotten to see what they uh, how they did it. Uh, and and this was uh, on mm. Big Brother. And I, I don't like to bring up uh, Big Brother with Phil because uh, you know that I don't I don't know uh, how he feels, but you know I, I'm looking forward to our deep dive with uh, Julie Chen Moonvest to talk about the strategic uh, or the storytelling <laughs> choices of uh, the contestants riding the giant banana. Last I'm kidding, night. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I don't like to talk about Big Brother ever. So yeah, 
Um, but in the first challenge for Big Brother this season, the first HOH challenge that they had, the contestants had to like all compete on like a similar obstacle course, but they had to all be shielded and like uh, stand behind a wall and not look at the, how the other people did it. I think that that might have been a little bit more fair to the people who went first of like everybody needs to come in with a blank slate. Well, if we're if we're going to draw comparisons to other reality shows. Let's get one a little closer to home for Phil. And let's talk about the head to head that was in Uganda in the last season of Amazing Race yeah. where they had the puzzle. And after oh, yeah. you did it once, you kind of knew how to do it. And yes. so you had the advantage going in the next time. Mm. I, or I wonder, had they kept everyone seeing each other, if they somehow had a solo victor in uh, last week's lineman challenge, they had been given, and if they had been given the power to choose the order. Maybe that would have been better, right? Because then there's actually some strategy in choosing things. And it looks like they're sort of alternating the powers every other week. Because uh, it looks like Murph is going to go in to whatever next week's individual challenges with a power. Uh, it's, it, it's had an even number. So I don't know if he's going to choose the pairs or like Danny got to choose the heat. But it looks like they're, they're sort of alternating powers every other week. Let's put that on the, on the docket to ask Phil next week. I want to know if it's just like even numbered weeks they get to work in pairs and odd number weeks. They're all individual. Okay. Now we saw Callie at the barbecue last night. Usually she's in a uniform and she has long sleeves on, but uh, we got to see Callie wearing a short sleeve shirt and I couldn't note it help, but notice, but, believe that uh Callie has uh again i'm no animal expert i couldn't make out if that was a squid or octopus tattoo that she has on her arm and i wondered was that sir squiddington oh <gasps> my god this is all like doctor <laughs> yeah. who is actually there's a, video, there's a video uh right now if you look at the most recent tweet from the cbs uh, uh it's tough as nails cbs twitter account you could see uh there's an interview that uh they start up they're talking to callie and you could see uh oh, on her arm yeah, yeah the, some of the tentacles of of either the squid or the octopus coming yeah, out i noticed that pretty early on but i feel like i if I'm the one that brings up tattoos, it's, you know, we go off on a tangent. So I mm-hmm. kind of didn't, I did not draw the Sir Squiddington comparison to be Yes. Fair. Well, I thought that it was such perfect timing because we talked about really this is. many weeks ago that we had the Bloom Tats, uh, the, the, the final the final three, uh, not necessarily of the brand steel, but the three most requested Bloom Tats. We had them done up as temporary tattoos unlike the permanent one that mike is getting of the winning tattoo the outwit outplast uh, out uh that's what drywall danny does uh <laughs> the, the outwit outplast last logo that encompasses all of the ideas the uh beloved sir squiddington and then also the survivor uh islands of ink logo uh we have sets of the bloom tats ready to go how about that, Mike? You can put possible ideas that were going to go onto my body onto your body. This is incredible. Now, Rob, you are sure that it's a squid, right? And not a sea urchin. I know you get those two mixed up. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. It's a kinna. It's, a, it's not a kinna. It's not a kinna. But this is absolutely incredible. I still maintain that that was one of the weirdest yet most fun experiences I've had on a podcast. And it, it lives on. In infamy, and of course, as as Jess suggested back when uh, she came up with this idea, 
uh, all proceeds that will be raised from these tattoos will go towards PPE, uh, you know, helping people on the front lines of being able to do their own tough as nails work in uh, helping the health and safety of this country. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so excited to have people be able to take a little piece of Sir Squiddington with them. The Outwit I'll play out last, admittedly, is not going to be the one that ends up on me, but it does encompass so many ideas that were in that cast of Survivor Islands of Ink. So it really is three absolutely incredible tattoos. Yeah. So the set of all three tattoos we're going to put on sale for $10 and you will get all three of the tattoos in your set and all the proceeds uh, will go to directrelief.org to continue to raise money for PPE for uh, doctors and nurses and uh, people providing medical care for people uh, dealing with coronavirus. Okay. I will also give a, a Bloom Tats update, actually. Oh, wait, let me actually, you know, also uh, just let me give out the yeah. link also. Uh, oh, that's the, a great uh, idea. Uh, <laughs> robswebsite.com slash Bloom Tats. Uh, <laughs> let's go with that. Okay, robswebsite.com slash B-L-O-O-M-T-A-T-S. Uh, robswebsite.com slash Bloom Tats. Putting the vanity in vanity link. I love it. Uh, I'll, I'll give a quick uh, Bloom Tats update. Yes. We have a date in the books, people. Uh, <gasps> September 18th, a little over a month from now, I am going to get the Outwit I'll play out last, the winning tattoo from Survival Islands of Ink tattooed on me. It, it was a thing months in the making. I've been working with the great Sean Yanell on a design for what the final thing is going to be. I cannot believe this is legitimately happening. We are less than a calendar month away. I am so, so happy. But, you know, if, if I want to fill the time or possibly get, get an idea as to what my body looks like with the uh, impermanent ink on it, now I have a bunch of great temporary tattoos that I can use. Mm -hmm. Okay. Get ease into it. Get used to it. There you go. All right. Jess, anything else? Uh, Tough as Nails, Episode 7 or beyond? Um... I guess not. I, I mean, I posted something to my Twitter that I should probably shout yes. out. Um, yes. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about um, the van situation. And damn van. The, yeah, the damn vans and how it was kind of like one was the mystery machine and one was the A-team. Yes. And I kind of couldn't quit picturing this in my head. <laughs> and I kind of got on this tangent, like, what if Tough as Nails was animated by Hanna-Barbera in the 70s or 80s? Wow. And so... I had to put this idea digitally down. I had to, I had to commit it to a digital file and I have put those up on my Twitter and you can now see oh. tough as nails, the animated series come to life. Yeah. So oh, I am a goodness. hands stan, but, uh, I believe I actually, uh, prefer the savage crew, uh, van. I, the Savage Crew van is much more recognizable as the mm -hmm. as what it is a tribute to. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The, the, uh, these are beautiful, uh, Mike. Would oh, you get either awesome. of these tattooed on your <laughs> for your probably next tattoo? Probably Lee's face. Just Lee's Lee's face holding a soda, an animated soda next to the Dirty Hands van. Oh, I love this so much. This is so much fun. I like Michelle. Michelle kind of looks like a Where's Waldo character, mm -hmm. which is really does. really fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, these are great. Uh, okay. Uh, incredible work, Jess. 
Absolutely. Yeah, they, these were very fun to do. And it's kind of, it's a learning process for me because I'm kind of, I'm learning a little bit more about digital design in the process and coming up with very niche things that only the listeners to this podcast would ever possibly mm-hmm. care about. It's, it's a good way to exercise and put those ideas into practice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, this was so much fun. Thanks again to Phil uh, for joining us. Uh, Mike, what do you have coming up these days? Well, Big Brother is here and coming out in, in full force. So I am once again on the beat covering Big Brother for Parade.com. Uh, I'm going to have Exit Press every week yes. doing an interview with the most recently evicted house guests. So I'll be here with evicted house guest number one on Friday. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Liana Boris and I are going to do our first ever. Uh, not first ever, our first edition this season of the Big Brother 22 B&B with guest Maggie Morgan from the RHP class of 2020. That should yeah. be a lot of fun. It's been a very, She's very kooky, funny. kooky, kooky week in the house. And we have some very fun ideas. Of course, Leon and I are also finishing up our uh, our installment yeah. of the Wiggle in Time but, series. By the way, I, yes, I really, very much enjoyed this past week's episode uh, with Kevin and Nigel. Oh, that was amazing. So yeah, Kevin and Nigel are two other members of the class of 2020. They are a survivor loving and I guess each other loving couple. Uh, so we put them through the ringer. We made them play the newlywed game that they played on the infamous Survivor Pearl Islands mm-hmm. episode. We had them learn some pirate lingo. It was an absolute blast, much like a cannon blast. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Leon and I have a couple of weeks left of that. Josh Wiggler and I just celebrated or are going to celebrate on 815 our one year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Of down the hatch, it is the paper anniversary, and so we give you the audio substitute for a paper in the form of a clip show of a podcast where we look back on one year of down the hatch. In addition to the other episode that we put out this week as well, uh, and outside of that, beyond Top Chef, we're doing a, a bit of a potluck. Uh, I was also on a. I was guested on a podcast. Uh, let me look up the name here, just so I do not forget. Uh, when I was on Kids Pod with the great uh, Amy from Australia, where I got to answer some questions from Amy's kids about what being a podcaster is like, uh, I did not say that a Emmy-winning reality host is going to compare you to uh, the Karate Kid at some point. But now I can bring that up. So yeah, I got all that going on at a Mike Bloom type and start ordering those Bloom Tats, people, because I'm very excited to see how they came out. Okay. All right. Mike, would you commit to the bit with me of uh, two plugs and a lie of basically you say two real yes. things that you that you have coming up and then one fake thing? Yeah. So uh, I podcast about Tough as Nails. Uh, <laughs> I am going to interview Big Brother players. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to live stream my first ever rollerblading experience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I put the lie at the end. Damn it. Oh, man. I caught myself out. Okay. Yeah, I only have one thing to plug. So, yes. yeah, Mike goes thing. on for 20 minutes about thing. all of the active things he's doing. And I have this, and I also have Mole Patrol, which I'm actually hopping off of this podcast and jumping right on to recording Mole Patrol with the great Josh Wiggler and um, newcomer to the RJP Universe, Brooklyn Zed. And we are rewatching the 2001 uh, reality series, The Mole. And it surprisingly holds up pretty well. Uh, it is very fun. Josh Wiggler has never seen it, so he does not know who the mole is or how we arrive at the conclusion of who the mole is. And it's very fun to hear him speculate. Um, so you can check that out on reality TV wrap ups and you can tweet at us using the hashtag mole patrol. Okay. 
All right. And of course, uh, we have a ton of Big Brother coming up as well. But uh, I think either you are into the Big Brother, you know about everything or or not. Uh, in terms of other uh, other things on the menu, I talked about the Myers-Briggs personality types of Survivor uh, with Lindsay Resco. That was very fun to do a deep dive into uh, Myers-Briggs, which I've always wanted to know more about. That was very fun. Uh, and then I will have a very special podcast with another man celebrating his anniversary this week. That would be Bryce Isaiah, host of the Purple Pants podcast. He is marking the passing of one year and also about to be uh, introducing the world to another way to mark the passage of a future year. So be on Mm. the lookout for that coming very soon to your podcast feed. Of course, all this podcasting is done with the support of the patrons of Robert's podcast. Find out more about everything we're doing in our patron community, our patron only podcast feed at robertswebsite.com slash patron. Uh, thanks again uh, for uh, you listening to the podcast. We appreciate that. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.